Welcome to our weekly Bible study. We're in Orlando, Florida. I'm David. This is my lovely wife, Joanna. There's the Queen's wave, saying hello, waving, waving, waving. And so uh, Quantum Kingdom Life, we are here tonight and we are going to start part two of our hindrances to prayers teaching. Last week we had spiritual hindrances to prayer. This week we're going to have emotional hindrances to prayer. And next week we're going to find physical hindrances to prayer. So if you want to learn more about last week, you can go to our SoundCloud channel on our website at virtualchurchmedia.com and you can go listen to the audio or you can go to our Facebook or YouTube or our Vimeo channel. So you can go there at davidsvimeo.com, davidsyoutube.com, uh, davidsradio.com and access it that way or virtual churchmedia.com and access it that way. So last week, spiritual hindrances, you can go back and watch the previous episode. This week, emotional hindrances to prayer. And next week, physical hindrances to prayer. First Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul in the first century pen, the Holy Spirit wrote these words through him while he was sitting in a prison cell. To the church at Thessalonica, he says, May God sanctify you completely or holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely holy, in spirit, in soul, and in body. So there's a sanctification that happens spiritually in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and also our physical earth suit, our body. And we need to be sanctified completely. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work it out. God works it in. So we put off the old man and we put on the new, which is renewed in the knowledge of him. We're transformed into the image and likeness of the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior, who lives in us, walks with us, gives us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and we get transformed formed through the renewing of our mind, through the washing of the water of the word. He says to us, submit your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable to submit your members or your earthly physical body unto God. And be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed through the renewing of your mind, your will, your emotion. So we see the body, we see the soul, and then we also see where God renews our spirit daily. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. So there are spiritual hindrances to prayer. There are emotional or mental hindrances to prayer. And then there are physical hindrances to prayer. The Apostle Paul said, because of the abundance of revelations he had received, he received a thorn in his flesh, and then that thorn in the flesh is named a messenger from Satan. The word messenger from Satan is the word angelos, which means a messenger, a spiritual being sent to buffet him, lest he be lifted up in pride due to the abundance of revelations he'd received. He received that hindrance in his 
flesh, a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan sent to buffet him or pound him. One of the names for the devil is the word diabolos in the original Koine Greek language that the New Testament has written of him. Written him. The word diabolos is the connotation of one that comes to pound. And the enemy will come to pound. And it feels so good when he stops. So the enemy comes to pound until he gets in. He's perpetual. And then he'll leave you for a season. The enemy came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness when Jesus was on a 40-day fast. You might think, well, you're on a 40-day fast. You're as strong as you've ever been. Maybe just the opposite because you're weak in flesh. And then you don't have the, the energy in your brain. I remember one time I was uh, about, I don't know, 13 days into a 21-day fast. And I remembered I didn't have the enzymes or the uh, amino acids in my brain. And even though I had the mind of Christ spiritually, I couldn't recall certain things because I didn't have the, the sugars or the enzymes in my brain. And I couldn't remember a phone number that was second hat to me. And so, I mean, I had to wait a couple of days before, just the situation, I was incarcerated at the time, and uh, it was about 1997, 98, I think I went on that 21-day fast. A big revival broke out on the 22nd day. I came off that fast, and bam, the power of God hit. People started coming up out of wheelchairs, heart conditions were healed supernaturally. I think uh, it was the first deaf ear I'd seen open at that time since then. God's done a bunch. But it was that time of weakness, frailty, having to rely upon God as God was calling me to fast, to give up physical food that I might receive spiritual food. And then the release of the power came, not during the fast, but when I broke the fast. Jesus cast a demon out of a boy they kept throwing him into a fire in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. And the disciples said, why couldn't we cast the demon out of the boy? He said, because of your unbelief. They'd already been given authority to cast out devils, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. They were given authority. Yet they couldn't cast this one out. Jesus didn't say, because you lack authority. He didn't say, because you lack power. He said he didn't say because you lack the word of God, or he didn't say because this devil's too powerful. He said the reason you couldn't cast this devil out was none of those things. It was because of your unbelief. And then Jesus makes a very interesting statement. This kind cometh out by nothing but prayer and fasting. It wasn't the demon that comes out because of your prayer and fasting. It's the unbelief that comes out of you and me when we pray and fast. Because we already have the authority over all the power of the enemy. Luke 10, 17 says, I saw Satan, Jesus speaking, fall from heaven like lightning. He didn't just like fall and tumble. He's got a parachute on. Crash! Lightning fall. That's how Satan got cast out of heaven. Like a lightning crash. He's got body slammed. That's how God treats the enemy and that's how we need to treat the enemy when we cast him out. We don't yeah. counsel devils out. We cast them out with the word. Yeah. And when a demon doesn't come out, 
either A, the person doesn't really want to be delivered, they're still playing with that thing, or we have an unbelief problem. Amen or ouch? Yeah. Hallelujah, heretic. <laughs> By the way, we're in a live audience tonight. Everybody say hello. 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 Ooh, yeah. yeah. If you're ever in uh, Orlando, Florida area on a Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, please feel free to contact us. We'll give you the address, the private secret location where we meet. And so uh, we also pack Bibles tonight. We uh, pack 62 bonded so we're sending in uh, 62 more. We're actually doing a total of 500 Bibles right now. I think we're at about 350 with the 200 that we sent to the prison chaplain in Northern California to hand deliver in. We got, didn't have to pay for individual shipping on those. They're being hand delivered by a chaplain into two prisons where there's hungry men behind bars wanting their own copy of the trusty 66 books of the Bible between two bonded leather covers or imitation leather or whatever uh, Bible cover is authorized in that facility. We have uh, two facilities that only will allow us to send in paperbacks. And my heart, and this is my mandate from the Lord, was to send in study Bibles first quality because the difference between a prisoner receiving a Bible in prison, doing an average of a 10 year sentence with parole, about eight years, eight months, and them asking for a Bible and getting on a Bible waiting list and waiting like a year to two years to get a Bible, many of them, versus a civilian on the outside. Would you grab me a couple of Bibles from over there, bring them And so a civilian in a westernized church in America with that same bonded leather Bible is this, the prisoner actually takes time to read their Bible. So a prisoner most of the time can't really deal with a, a paperback Bible because they read so much. The Bible literally um, comes, the, 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 uh, the covers fall off. Here's an example of one of the Bibles that we send in right here. This is, uh, it's all hermetically sealed, so I uh, can't really open it, but uh, that's like uh, the Bible we send in. It's uh, gilded leaf. And here's uh, another one that we send in. The Bibles actually retail for about $40 to $80. And sometimes we send in bonded leather, sometimes imitation leather, sometimes uh, actual leather bound, just whatever we can get a closeout price on. We recently had a, a donation of $10,000 that came in to Heart of America Prison Ministries. So we source Bibles and we do an amortized price of about $20 cost for the Bibles. So we really stretch donor dollars like Gumby. And then, uh, so we're doing 500 Bibles with that $10,000 donation, about $20 a Bible. And then we've got about 2,000 of the 4,000 that we need for mailing costs. So we still need another 2,000. If the Lord leads you, then please feel free to uh, donate, helping change lives one Bible at a time through Heart of America Prison Ministries, heartprisonministries.org. And we've been doing that for 27 years based upon a vision the Lord gave me in 1990 where a tree of books came sprouting out of my hand and reached a third of the earth 
and it was a tree of books and prisoners would come in hopes that a book would fall from one of the branches for them and there was two lumberjacks one was a christian one was a satanist and they were working hand in hand side by side in unison to try to chop the tree down i didn't know that christians worked with satanists until i ran into christians with a religious spirit and i was astonished that christians could actually do the work of the devil in unity and lockstep because they don't like the anointing of the holy spirit they'd rather have dead dry religion and they will hinder you spiritually with their prayers pentecostal charismatic witchcraft they'll hinder you emotionally barraging you beating you up on social media calling you every name in the book <laughs> and you have to cast down every imagination every high and pretentious thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god and they'll uh, come at you physically. I've actually had people physically attack me for preaching the gospel under the anointing. I've actually had them threaten my life. And they were Christians. And uh, so they name the name of Christ, but they're often fractured in their soul or they are demonized themselves with demon hindrances. So tonight we're talking about emotional hindrances to prayer. Last week, spiritual hindrances. This week, emotional hindrances. Next week, physical hindrances. But let's get started on emotional hindrances. Our keynote verse for the evening is Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We always want to anchor everything in the Word. So as you're turning to Colossians chapter 3, I want to share with you the definition of a hindrance. And Joanna, my wife, has put together this teaching. And so I'm just kind of helping out. I have a teaching gift. She has an amazing gift of the psalmist and a prophetic minstrel. We're tag teaming it. So we're tag teaming. That's right. One uh, your twin powers, activate. Form of the word. Form of the spirit. That's right. So uh, a, a hindrance is the state of being interfered with, held back, or slowed down. Have you ever been in traffic and you're doing a great time and you're gonna get there perfect and at a stoplight of course with the car in park you've then picked up the phone safely obeying all state and federal laws and then you text them or hands-free you text message letting them know you're on time and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off in traffic and interferes with you or there's a traffic jam and you get slowed down or, God forbid, you got pulled over and held back. That would be a hindrance to you arriving on time. Another uh, uh, definition of hindrance is the state of being hindered or hindrance of speech. A person or thing that interferes with or slows the progress of someone or something, an impediment, a hindrance, to learning. Do you know that there's impediments to learning? There's hindrances to your spiritual growth. The enemy wants to get you or me off track, distracted. He wants to derail you in your walk with the Lord. I remember an illustration that I read in a book years ago that a person gets born again in their town, in their city, and it's like they see Jesus off in the distance. They're born again. And Jesus is waving them to come to them. And so they begin their wonderful journey. You begin your wonderful journey with Jesus. 
and it's like you're walking down the street and there's apartment buildings and businesses and all kinds of things on the left-hand side of the street and the right-hand side of the street and you're looking at Jesus and people are like leaning out the window and yelling at you, inviting you to come up. They're distracting you. Come do this. Hey, come with us. They're tempting you. They're offering you different kinds of food or entertainment or they're threatening you or they're calling you names. And Jesus is saying, ignore them. See gummy, follow me. Come follow me. And if we'll follow him, we'll be able to walk on the water over all the situations of life. But if we respond to the hindrances, the distractions, vying or contending for the attention of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, we'll become distracted or derailed or we'll take our eyes off the seawalker and we'll begin to put them on the winds and the waves of adversity, the distractions, the impediments, the hindrances, mm -hmm. spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and we begin to sink right into the circumstances. And when we're there, then we call on Jesus. He picks us up, puts us back in the boat, and immediately we're to the other side. Joanna. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just want to remind, um, for those of you that weren't here last week, when we talked about the spiritual hindrances, we talked about the two major spiritual hindrances, which are um, sin and iniquity. Now, iniquity is the conscious choice to do wrong without repentance. And in the Hebrew, um, sin means avon, and that means to bend, twist, and distort. Iniquity. Iniquity. And so, um, and it means to go astray. So when we're in sin, we are going astray from God's word. And when we are operating in iniquity, which is a conscious decision to sin, then we are bending and twisting. So it's the opposite of God's word. And so those are two major things. And last week we had you guys um, pray and ask, you, ask the Lord to show you what is a hindrance, a spiritual hindrance in your life right now. And we went through, we shredded it and broke it, put it, wrote it on paper and tore it in half. And so what's interesting with emotional hindrances is when you look at emotional freedom, okay, emotional freedom can be defined as the ability to control your emotions and not be controlled by them. Repeat that again. Emotional freedom can be defined as the ability to control your emotions and not be controlled by them. So what are some examples? Okay, so I want you guys, as we're talking about this, to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind, as I go through this list, what are some things on this list that might be an emotional hindrance for you? That might be blocking things, because a lot of times we don't even realize what we're carrying in our heart or what the main focus of our thoughts are. And so if our thoughts are focused on a specific emotion, that influences our choices because we make our choices based on our thoughts, based on what we're feeling. So some examples of... Before we go yeah. there, I just want to lay a, a verse of scripture as a foundation because this is not a suggestion in scripture. It's really a mandate. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a command. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If you were raised with Christ, 
then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections in the King James or your mind or your emotions on things above, not on things beneath or on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So it's a command, a mandate for us to set our affections, our mind, our will, our emotions on things above. I'm going to give you a quick illustration. Joanna and I were in prayer last week. I think it was Monday of last week. And I was frustrated at the way some things are taking place on the globe where people that may not have humanity's best uh, goals in mind are in control in certain governments and political arenas. And I was a little bit frustrated. I was a little bit emotional about it. I was a little bit passionate about it. And I told the Lord I wasn't happy. And I was kind of a little bit wondering why he hadn't intervened yet to put things in order. So I was a little bit accusatory toward God. And the Holy Spirit opened up a vision and I saw the Father seated at the right hand, and I saw people in positions of political authority and affluence above me, and I was down here on the earth, hindered, <laughs> physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the Lord invited me up. And I was so angry, I didn't really want to come up. That's where I was at. It was hindrance. And I then gave the Lord permission to bring me up. Revelation 4, 1 says, and a door was opened in heaven and a man said, come up hither. Scriptural basis. So in this vision, I was taken up above and past the people in political authority. And as I rose above them, he would rose me. I was next to him and I was looking down past the politicians and on the people running around and the Holy Spirit said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Second Chronicles 7, 14. And what he did was he says, if my people, which are called by my name, and I knew the rest of the verse. God's not big on a lot of words. He'll give you what you need. But when he said that, my frustration and anger toward people in political arenas of authority and my disillusionment with why God had not yet intervened, changed from accusatory toward God, wondering if he was going to intervene, angry with people in positions of authority who misused their power, to the focus, which is if God's people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, and turn from their iniquitous ways, then God will heal, hear from heaven and heal our land. So we're not waiting on God to intervene. God's waiting for us as a nation and as a world to get out of lukewarmity mm -hmm. and to seek his face with prayer and fasting. 
to get the unbelief out. And God will intervene like that. God looks forward to intervening. But he's going to intervene to a repentant people, not to a lukewarm people. Right. Because he's not going to change his nature and word for us. He's asking us to change our nature and our mind to set our affections on the things that are above, not on the things that are beneath. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4, set your affections on things above. And if you can't ask him to show you, because I couldn't. And I, I'm a mature believer, and I was hindered in my emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, and now is the time for us to press in. We have to press in if we want to see that change on on our on our in our country and in the world. We have to now do what Colossians three one through four says: set our sights above, because the devil wants nothing more than to have us stuck. In our in emotional hindrances and our spiritual hindrances, so let's let's look at some of the emotional hindrances. These are just examples, but really ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you tonight what is an emotional hindrance for you that needs to be laid at His feet, so you can walk in victory, so you can meditate on His Word. And in Joshua one, it says, when we meditate upon His Word day and night. We will be successful. It's Joshua 1, verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate on the book day and night and observe all that is written. For when you do that, it will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So that's the only way we're going to have change. So here are some emotional hindrances as you pray. Worry, fear, Doubt or disbelief, anxiety, jealousy, unforgiveness. Let's, stop, let's touch on unforgiveness okay. for a second. Unforgiveness is a major hindrance to prayer. Mm -hmm. It's major. It's not a minor. It's a big issue. So it could be a small thing in your heart, like a stumbling block. But I don't know if you've ever tripped over a stumbling block. They're only about that big. <laughs> But they cause great damage when you face plant. Yeah. Right? And so little stomach bites, just a little bit of unforgiveness. So Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through really 26, he says, when you stand praying, you know, believe that those things whatsoever you say will come to pass. And he says, and when you stand praying, forgive that your heavenly father might also forgive you your trespasses. And then it goes on to say, but if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly father forgive you your trespasses. You make a side note. So here's a side comment on this forgiveness. It could be not being able to forgive yourself. Mm. That can be a big stumbling block for a mistake that you made and then the enemy comes and just keeps bringing it back to you. Tormenting. Tormenting you. Oh, you're not forgiving. Oh, remember when you did this and you behaved this way and you acted like that or you said this? But if you've already asked Jesus to forgive you, it's as, your sins are as far from the east as they are from the west. He doesn't even remember the conversation anymore. He puts it in the sea of forgetfulness and he puts up a sign that says no fishing. Right. So, no fishing. So, 
Yeah, so we have to forgive ourselves and then let it go because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And sometimes we're mad at God and we have to ask, we have to forgive God. So those are a couple of things to think about. Not that God's done anything no, wrong. No, not that he's done anything wrong. But in our perception. Right. Just the other day, I was upset because God wasn't intervening. But once he showed me his perspective, I realized, hmm, the fault doesn't lie with God. It lies with us. Oopsie. One more thing. I was walking the track with a gentleman in prison, probably 1990, so it's like 32 years ago. His name was James. He had been like a, you know, an LSD trafficker. He'd been a bank robber. He was a very violent guy, and he got radically born again. Radically born again. Totally sold out. He was one of the most impactful people on my walk as a young believer I'd ever met. And uh, I was in uh, Oklahoma at the time. And I was in transit, so I was just entering the system. And long story short, he was talking about forgiving ourselves. And he was walking the track one day, and he was like, Lord, you know, five years ago I did this, and blah, 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 blah. And he says, you know, it's just, I, I, I've repented over and over again, but I just can't seem to get free. And the Lord spoke to him, James, is this something you asked me to forgive you for? He says, well, yeah, I, I always ask you to forgive me for it. He said, oh. He says, well, I can't remember it. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And he says, what do you mean, Lord? I did this and that. He says, well, if you ask me to forgive you, and you ask me to wash and cleanse it in the blood of Jesus, I put it in the sea of forgetfulness, and I can't remember it anymore. He says, so if I can't remember it, why should you? Putting those things which are behind you, behind you, and pressing on for the upward call, which is in Christ Jesus. So I think parking on this unforgiveness and this other facet, which is forgiving misperceptions about God's character and forgiving ourselves from the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation. Because the reality is there's things that we wouldn't want on the you know, front page of the, a major newspaper or on TV you know, news. But if Jesus forgave us and he cleansed us and it is no more, it's in the sea of forgetfulness and there's a sign up that says no fishing, who are we not to forgive ourselves? That's the enemy hindering us in our souls. Is that helpful tonight? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's some more for food for thought. Idolatry. What do you idolize in your life right now? Is Go Chiefs! Go Chiefs! <laughs> oh. Repent! Repent! Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go Chiefs! I meant goat cheese. Goat cheese, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it an addiction of some kind? Now, addiction is not necessarily an addiction to substance abuse or sex or alcohol or anything like that. You can, we can have addictions to drama. We're always drawing drama. There's always some kind of drama, some, some oh my gosh, some emergency happening. Or maybe we're addicted to pain and we like the attention we get because we're in pain and so we talk about our pain all the time because then we get sympathy from people so part of us is wanting sympathy from other people um it could also be coveting you know maybe maybe you're coveting someone else is in a relationship and you're not or maybe someone has children and you never ha got to have children or maybe there's a big disappointment that happened for you so that enemy's gotten you to covet what somebody else has 
And there's also walking in a false identity. And so what is that for you? You know, for some people it might be, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just this way. Well, I'm just a hot-blooded Italian or Mexican or Jew or whatever. I'm just shy. I'm, I'm, I'm too old. I'm this or I'm that. Whatever that label is, that's a label the enemy has gotten you to come into agreement with. So that can be a hindrance. Um, vanity. Being overly concerned and focused on the way that you look. Oh, I've, I've got to do this to my face now. Or, oh, I don't look this. I, I need to change what I'm wearing. And so there's this critical spirit that drives you to constantly have to change or constantly make comments about yourself, whether it's negative or what, whatever. But it's a distraction because then you're not understanding that you are created in the image of God. You're beautiful. You're handsome. Inside and out, and you bear that reflection. So that's a big one the enemy gets us in. And it's these little things. Maybe it's codependency. Maybe you're helping everyone else because you have a mercy gift, right? So you go and you help at this person, you help that person, and you're helping everybody but yourself. But then other people don't help you the way you help other people. So now you're resentful. Now you're angry at other people. Now unforgiveness starts to set in. Well, I helped her and she didn't help me with, with what I needed help with. Here's some more. Let me just touch on this. Sent versus went. When you're sent and assigned to go do something, you do it, and your reward comes from the Lord, and you move on. Mm -hmm. If you went on your own, you're on your own gas, your own dime. You went to go do that, and if God blesses that, He partnered with you because it's His nature to help people out. But He didn't send you; you just went. You want to be sent, not went, because if you were went, you spend your own money, your own time, your own talents, your own energies. And you leave empty because you left your God-given assignment to go do your own assignment. Wow. So if you're resentful, ask the Lord, did you send me? Or did I go on my own and you just blessed me because I preached your word? Mm -hmm. Is that helpful? Yeah. And, and, and so this is to bring to light because the Bible, the Lord wants us to confess our sin. What does that mean? It means to just tell the truth. Tell, be honest what's in, in our heart. That's it. That's what confession is because then now we have that open door, that tombstone is off our heart, and we can be real with our feelings. So they're not going to control us anymore. So here's just a few others. Uh, regret, shame, vengefulness. And vengeful can be as simple as somebody hurt you, and you're talking to someone else about what they did under the guise of, going to pray for them, but you really are dropping words of gossip instead of going to that person directly and telling them how you feel, which we talked about emotional courage, that, that emotional courage requires you to do that. So timidity or being timid and not confronting somebody, and I'm talking about a crucial conversation in love, and sometimes you got to really pray through before you even go talk to the right, person. Right, you have to work out your emotions with the You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to get the emotions in alignment with God where we become intercessors, not accusers. Two ministries go on before the throne of God day and night, the ministry of intercession by Jesus. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. Jesus forever lives to make intercession for those that come to God by him. He's able to say from the uttermost, you know, really to the guttermost, through intercession. So when you're connected to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, 
in your prayer closet, you'll be interceding for that person because your emotions are from heaven's perspective now. Once you work through them. Once you work through them. Right. Until then, you might start off with the other ministry that goes on before the throne of God day and night, the ministry of accusation by the devil. The devil, the accuser of the brethren, was cast down to accuse the saints of God before the throne of God day and night. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 and 12. So when you start off in act, well, they did this to me, you need to call fire from heaven. You're not going to, I call judgment, I call. Hmm. Are you co-heirs with Christ, the intercessor? Or are you co-heirs with Lucy, <laughs> Lucifer, right? The accuser. So you have to look at what spirit you're connected to because we're talking about hindrances to prayer. And has Satan pulled you into partnership out of offense and allowed your emotions to rule your prayer life and then given him access to ride in on your prayers before the throne of God? Because the devil doesn't have access to the throne of God anymore. And Except wanna, if you can find a Christian who has access to get into the VIP room. And a tag team on that. Um, it's okay to be angry. The Bible says, be angry. And sin not. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, so and so that sin is then, if when we allow the anger to move us into being vengeful, we're going to get even with that person. That's where it now becomes iniquity and sin, because now you're moving away with intention from God's word. So just a few more for you guys to think about and pray about. Um, being in a constant state of stress. You're so busy and everything is stressful because we have this and you have that and you have that and, you have, and you're in this constant state of stress. That can be an emotional hindrance because what's happening, not only emotionally, but that constant state of stress is now triggering, triggering the hormones in your body. So now your body's overloaded in this constant flight state with cortisol. Your cortisol levels are going higher, 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 which impacts everything else in your body. And um, then we go to the prayer line for healing instead of repenting. Right. So this is interesting. The word stress is really the word fear. Wow. So the word stress really believes that we can't get it all done, so now we're fearful that we can't get it. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. So some people actually celebrate their stress as if they're getting a bunch accomplished. Oh, I'm just under a lot of stress. You know, you know, they pray for me. I got to do this and that. Let me tell you all the things I'm doing. Glory be to me, myself, and I on everything. I'm accomplishing this on Holy Trinity today. And, uh, you know, just praise me for it. And uh, I mean, that's really what we're saying, but we wouldn't say it in those words like I just said it because we actually sometimes embrace and enjoy our stress. We feed off the fear and accomplishing it instead of, those that wait upon the Lord, he'll renew their strengths. So Martha was out making Galilean fish sandwiches for Jesus that he never ordered out of fear and stress and anxiety, hoping that she could be pleasing enough to get his attention. Jesus wasn't impressed. Mary was at his feet, sitting, resting. He was pleased with her. It wasn't that she was unwilling to get up and make some fish and chips, but she wasn't going to go do something that Jesus didn't ask for. 
So when we sit at his feet and rest, then he speaks to us, bam, now we're sent. Versus we're out doing religious works, bouncing from location to location, event to event, like a dolphin swimming amongst a community and doing all of our work, or St. Bernard helping everybody, right? Well, guess what? If we sit and wait and he speaks and we go, we're blessed in our coming in and we're blessed in our going out. But if we went on our own, he sits back and watches. And when we come back, God, why did you let that happen? I didn't tell you to go. He tells us to go. It might not be a fun trip, but he's going to be with us in it, even if we go into the fiery furnace. We go through the prison like the Apostle Paul did, Peter, James, John, whatever it happens, at least he's with us instead of him not with us because he didn't send us. We went on our own and he's sitting back going, well, don't get tired. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you go back to God, God, I'm so tired. He's like, good. I've been waiting for you to get worn out so we could do something together. Same matter out on that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's a couple more. Um, being stuck in a past painful event, but you're stuck in it in the present day. And so I'm going to repeat that again. Being stuck in the emotions of a past painful event in the present. This is a big one because, you know, maybe you were divorced and it was a very painful marriage or maybe something happened. Maybe you lost a child or maybe your spouse died. You know, those are all very real, very painful. But what, what can happen is the enemy can get us stuck in that place. Where we're constantly in filtering everything through that pain, filtering it through the grief, filtering it through the anger, filtering it through the depression. So how can you possibly feel or experience God's joy or his love until we allow that to, un to come out, until we can confess that and then ask the Lord to help us with that? Also, that ties into depression and helplessness and then also deferred hope. So these are some of the things that, um, that I want you guys to pray about. And for our online family, you know, Put in the comment box what, what's come to you tonight. Um, and so a scripture that I was reading this morning, I wanted to highlight to you guys. It's uh, If you have your Bibles or your phone, go ahead and pull it up so you can read it with me on your phone or your Bible. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14. So that's Mark chapter 9. That's the New Testament. Starting with verse 14. Through 29. I'm going to read it for you. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked the disciples to drive out the spirit, 
but they could not. Jesus replied, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought him the boy. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy to the ground into a convulsion. He fell and he rolled around and foaming at the mouth. From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I want to make a side note here. How often have we asked God, oh, please, God, please help. Okay? This is what Jesus replied to the man who said, take pity on us. Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Repeat that again. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my belief. Unbelief. My unbelief. Side note, this is exactly what we've been talking about. When we can't help ourselves, we cry out just like the boy's father did. Oh, I, want, I, I do believe. Help me, Jesus. Help me in my unbelief. So when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the sea, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Now this is also an example of how to cast something out. Just saying. That's for a future topic. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and then came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out, Master? And what did Jesus say, David? This kind can come out only by prayer. And in the King James Version, it says prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to do what are called pushaways from the table. We were just uh, ministering, uh, I think last Friday night. Mm -hmm. We were out of town and we were ministering at an amazing full-on buffet restaurant. And it was an Amish restaurant. It was the food was fabulous, and uh, there was a lot of businessmen there, and the majority of the people were, were were older, and they were very committed believers, and many of them were, you know, had some good weight on them, and and so the Lord had me bring up a theme of fasting and doing pushaways, and God, the power of God fell, and a man with a cane with a level 10 pain had been healed, you know, at the end of the service. And then God began to move and got a note from someone that it was the best service they've ever had in their lives. But the theme was this fasting work. And if you're not getting the miracles or the signs or the wonders or the healings or the deliverance or the breakthroughs financially, emotionally, spiritually, um, whatever it is, 
relationally. If you're not getting that breakthrough, it may be time to do some pushaways, push away from the three meals a day. You know, a lot of nations, you know, they, one meal a day is a big thing. We're like upset when we only get two. Mm -hmm. Skip a meal, give it unto the Lord. Trust me, you won't die on one meal. <laughs> Most people can live on one. Anyway, so this kind of unbelief that keeps us from operating in the ordained, delegated authority that Jesus gave us to use his name, it's not an authority issue. It's an unbelief or a faith issue. Mm -hmm. He said, help me, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Here's what's interesting. The man who walked on water was Peter. And when he walked on water and he sank when he took his eyes off Jesus because his emotions were tossed to and fro, he called on Jesus, Jesus, help me. Jesus reached down, picked him up, put him in the boat. Immediately, they were to the other side. I mean, how that happens, I don't know. You know, how a, you know, a brown cow lives in a red barn, eats green grass, and produces white milk. I don't understand that either. I don't understand how the electricity works, but I know how to flip the switch. But the point is this. When Jesus put him back in the boat, Jesus rebuked him. And he said, you of little faith. Now, the disciples had no faith because they were unwilling to walk on the water. So you got no faith with 11 of them, and you have little faith with number 12. And Jesus has all faith. And Peter had faith to walk on water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, here's the point. Emotions, <coughs> hindrances. The word little faith in the original Greek language it's written in is the word not size of little, but time as an enduring faith. You of little endurance in your faith. Joanna and I, we minister, and this guy who got healed of the, uh, the back injury with the cane, he was in excruciating pain, but he walked in, the Lord says, I'm gonna give him a miracle. The Lord said, I want to give him a miracle tonight. He didn't say he would. He said he wanted to. So he's looking for somebody to partner with in the earth. That his will might be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, I could have finished the message and just prayed a general prayer. But instead, I stepped out in faith based upon what God had spoke. I'm sent. That's my assignment. And I said to him, I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah. I said, what happened? He said, I'm on a level 10 pain. I spoke to him in Spanish because he didn't speak a lot of English. And so I think they thought I was speaking in tongues. It was kind of a charismatic kind of group. <laughs> so some of them, I think, figured I was speaking in a native tongue. But as I broke the power of this back injury and broke off trauma and released the healing balm of Gilead, the pain level went from a level 10 to a level 3. And he began to move around, and he was like shocked, dismayed, in unbelief that he was getting healed. And so I had everybody stretch their hands toward him. Remember, enduring faith, distance faith. It goes out. It doesn't just, not 10-second faith, it's 10-hour faith. So we prayed again because Jesus prayed for a man who was born blind. He says, can you see? He says, I see men walking like trees. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, that's all the healing power there is today. <laughs> Bummer, come back to the next healing service next Wednesday night. We'll cry it again. <laughs> 
Jesus is like, get back here, slaps hands on him again. Bam, now I see every man whole. So he started off with darkness, he went to dawn, and then he went to the noonday. So sometimes you have to persevere in prayer. So we told this man, we're going to pray again, and it went from a three to a two. And I said, I want you to lay hands on yourself. Wow. And I said, I want you to say, thank you, Jesus. Nice. When he said, thank you, Jesus, that's when it went from a three to a two. Then I told him to lay his hands on himself. He laid hands on I made him make the commands, use his authority. And then it went down to a one, and then all of a sudden it was gone. This big grin came on his face. His face began to light up, and everybody could see. And he was like, I can't, I'm completely healed. He began to jump around in excitement. And this created an atmosphere for other people to start to get the miracle. My point is this. I could have stopped at from a level 10 to a level 3. But I know the Bible says not one time did Jesus ever say, rise up and limp. <laughs> but sometimes we, because of our unbelief, allow somebody to go to a 10 to a 3 on pain, and we quit. We call that a win, and the devil's like, yes, I can't wait to put it back on him in the car. And he'll come back to the service next week with the cane. I'm going to turn it into an 11. But when the man casts the last two points out, he'll so. keep his healing. Mm -hmm. And now he'll go tell others about what Jesus did for him. Mm -hmm. And the other people, as they stretch their hands out, participated in the miracle. And now it was team sport. One body, many parts. We're all together each accomplishes more. T-E-A-M. Teamwork makes a dream work. So make your Christian walk a team. Don't be a one-man evangelizing band. Mm -hmm. And if you can't find anybody to go evangelize with you, go when the Lord tells you to go. Win one to Christ, then bring them immediately into ministry. Now you got two. Mm -hmm. And then go win the rest. Now you got three, four, five, fifty. You know, we attend a church that went from zero to two thousand in forty-five days. And last week, they won 36,000 to Christ. That's pretty good worldwide. Mm -hmm. My point is, go with what you've got because you've got Jesus, but then bring them in with you and now go out. You're stronger and stronger and stronger. Enduring faith. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the list of hindrances. Now, who's ready to get emotional freedom? Yeah. yeah. All hands go up, baby. All right, so here are some scriptures. I want you guys to write these scriptures down, and your homework assignment is to meditate on them this week and pray about it. And then next week, we're going to talk about what God did for you. So these are the keys for freedom, for emotional freedom. And you're going to see that they're the opposite of what the negative ones were. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I'm going to read that again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I'm going to read you the second scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. 
That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'm going to say it again. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the keys for freedom is really simple. The devil tries to make us think it's so hard and we can't break out of this. And yes, there are times when we have to press in, we have to fast, and we have to pray. And I have a quick fasting tip for you too. So a quick fasting tip is you don't eat anything past 7 o'clock at night. Then you sleep all night. And then you don't eat anything until 12 with the intention that between in the morning when you get up between you know get getting up and, and 12 noon you you're not going to eat because you're fasting this is a great way to fast and do intermittent fasting so that's just a quick little tip on fasting and so once you do that like after six or seven o'clock at night till noon the next day it's like 17 or 18 hours and you know why they call it breakfast because you break fast okay so then the next time you can go until three o'clock in the afternoon. Now you've got maybe 21 hours in, 20 or 21 hours in. Then the next time you fast, you can do from 6 p.m. for dinner until 6 p.m. that night. And now you've got a 24 hour fasting. So that's the way you move into fasting. You don't always just start with a 40 day. I mean, you've been 40 days before. Yeah, but oh God, that was because God told me to do that. It and, was a liquid fast. And God told me to go 21 days. And, but I, I did some warm up fasts before I did like three and five and seven, and then boom, went to 21. And so my point is this, it's not the amount of days you fast, it's the amount of time you spend in the presence of the Lord where God boils out the unbelief, mm -hmm. gets our emotions under control, so he can trust us with more. Because all power in heaven and earth has been given into us. The thing that hinders it or short circuits it is when we get hindered in our spiritual area, emotional area, or physical area, and then our prayer authority is hindered or short circuited because we're distracted. Mm -hmm. And so we have one more scripture meditation for you guys for this week. So this is 1 Corinthians 13. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And I'll go ahead and read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there's knowledge, it will pass away. But love 
never fails. So one of the litmus tests that you can do to find out if you're walking in love, when you're in your prayer closet, does your prayers protect? Does it trust? Does it hope? Does it persevere? Does it keep track of wrongs? Does it dishonor anybody? Is it self-seeking? Is it easily angered in prayer? Then you have to say, maybe this isn't a biblical type of love that's in my heart. Lord, deliver me from these things and replace those things. Purge me. Fill me with your love that these things might purge out. And then I'm filled with your perspective from heaven looking down instead of from the earth looking across. And I'll give you a practical application. So in those moments where I have been very wounded by somebody, they backstabbed me, and I was really hurt and angry, my prayer was like this, I'm so angry, Lord! Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this! This is confessing my, my, my emotions. And, and okay? David, and now I'm just keeping it real. David in the Psalms did some similar things. Right. So there's a process where we have to go through where we have to get out of our flesh through our soul and then we walk in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh right. and start calling fire from heaven on people instead of having to come down to change the situation and deliver them from evil and and once once i've been able to vent with the lord to express the feelings express the hurt express the frustration pain whatever it is then it's like then i invite jesus lord jesus come into my heart Heal me in this pain. Meet me in this moment. And that is when he speaks to me. And I remember one time uh, when I was in one of those places and the Lord came to me because I asked him. I, I screamed and I said, who's sorry, Lord? Who's sorry about all the pain I've had to go through because of someone else? And this was from a previous relationship. And you know what God spoke to me? He said, I'm sorry. And he sang a song to me. And I got my song, Daddy Sorry. So when we invite the Lord into those places, even loneliness, depression, whatever it is, Jesus will heal you. He will. We have to come out of agreement with what has got us stuck in that place. So we're, David's going to go over, as we close, David's going to go over the four R's of how to get delivered. Okay, you ready? The four R.E.s of deliverance are really simple and they work in every situation. These actually come from Derek Prince, a great prince of a fellow and a tremendous theologian. But the four R.E.s are recognized. R.E. recognize the issue. Number two, once you recognize, then you repent. You turn from that issue, come out of agreement with that thing and you turn 180 degrees the other direction to the Lord. So we repent, about face, we turn from that to the Lord. So we recognize our E, then we repent, turn from it to the Lord, and then we must renounce it, our E renounce. That thing's wrong, I'm not doing it again, I renounce that as sin. Recognize, repent, renounce, and now that thing is out of our lives, but it doesn't mean it won't try to come back. And then we have to resist. So recognize, repent, renounce, and resist. And that's the four REs of deliverance. And they work in every area and every category of our life because they're biblical. 
So recognize, repent, renounce, and resist. Joanna, would you play that song, Daddy? Sorry, I think some people need to hear it. I'll sing that. Okay. So I'll sing this song. It's called Daddy Sorry, and um, and this is God was speaking to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that happened to you. I'm sorry for the tears that you had to cry. I'm sorry for what you had to go through. And, and I am with you through that. So, I, Lord, I just release your anointing right now and your love over every person that needs to hear the words, I'm sorry. That you are sorry. That somebody is sorry for what happened. Somebody is sorry for the trauma and the pain, the hardship, the struggles, the loss. You are sorry, Jesus. So I just ask now, Holy Spirit, that you come and you minister your presence. You minister your fire as I sing the song, Lord. Let your love just permeate their very being right now. Permeate their cells, their emotions, their mind, their heart. In Jesus' name. So this is God singing to you tonight. I'm sorry for the words I didn't say. I'm sorry for the games I didn't play. For the words they spoke that broke your heart and tore your world apart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the love they never gave, I'm sorry for the touch it made you crave, for anyone to come and give you love, and all they did was tear you apart, I'm sorry. The love you deserve to have, the love you deserve to get, is a love, true love I have for you. I love you in the places that you hate. I love you in the broken parts there are. I love you. I love you. I love you. Jesus loves you. And if you've never invited him into your heart, you just need to rededicate your heart to him right now. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus. come into my heart. I need you. I need you to heal me. I need you to forgive me. I need your Holy Spirit to fill me afresh. Renew my mind. Renew my heart. Renew my soul. Renew my body. And I thank you, Jesus. For your blood that was shed for me, that heals all my diseases and forgives me 
for my sin and my iniquity. I repent tonight and I give you permission to change me, to fill me with your love. In Jesus' name. And I declare, I am free. I declare, I walk in the power God has given me. Equipped by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. We'd like to give for Bibles or Bible shipping. Costs us about $8 a piece to ship. We get them into the prison. Helping change lives one Bible at a time. Heart of America Prison Ministries. Go to heartprisonministries.org and you can donate there. You can partner with us on a monthly basis. Costs us about $20 for a Bible, about $8 for shipping, about 30 bucks. To help change lives one Bible at a time. Average prisoners doing 10 years, 8 years, 8 months. And this helps get them through and reduce recidivism rates. It worked for me. It'll work for you and your loved ones. God bless you. I'm David, my lovely wife. Joanna. And her obedience. God bless you guys. God bless. We'll see you next week.